Hello, I'm Nicole Aberdeen and I write about books for Good Weekend. Welcome to the Books, Books, Books podcast in which I interview the best writers from Australia and overseas about their latest books. Thank you for joining me. Before we begin, I would like to acknowledge the country where I live and work and from where I'm joining this conversation, the lands of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. I pay my respects to their elders past and present, to the elders of all communities and cultures across Australia and to leaders of the future. You can listen to this podcast, all of the episodes at nicoleabity.com.au or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Today, I'm delighted to welcome Sarah Garnett, founder and managing director of not-for-profit organisation, The Footpath Library, which she founded in 2003, to Books, Books, Books. Sarah is also a corporate communications producer. In 2013, Sarah was a New South Wales Australian of the Year local hero finalist, and her story has featured on numerous TV and radio news programs here and overseas. In 2018, she completed a BA majoring in anthropology. Sarah is passionate about encouraging literacy from an early age and making books available to everyone who loves reading. Sarah, welcome to Books, Books, Books. Thank you for having me, Nicole. I'm going to start by asking you to tell us about the Footpath Library. What is it and what does it do? The Footpath Library is Australia's only giving library for people experiencing homelessness. Uh, It's a mobile library and we operate in Sydney, uh, Melbourne and Perth, going out on the street and giving away excellent quality books to people experiencing homelessness. You started the Footpath Library in 2003. What gave you the idea? I actually fell into it, Nicole. I I didn't really come. I can't claim to have come up with the idea. I was out on the street one night volunteering for a food van that came down to Woolloomooloo to uh, serve hot meals to rough sleepers and I noticed a man sitting under a street lamp in the gutter reading a novel and I went over and had a conversation with him and that's how the Footpath Library started. What did you talk about, Sarah? I asked him what he was reading um, and he told me that he read six books a week, which I thought was extraordinary. And then he told me that it was safer for him to read at night and sleep during the day. And so I started bringing him books out of my husband's crime collection. I'm going to take you back a step. Why was that? Why was it safer to read at night and re- and sleep during the day? So for rough sleepers, um, you know, if they're sleeping in parks or in doorways or so, and so on, it's actually not a safe place to be at night time in the middle of the city. So quite often they will wander around all night or find somewhere to read, somewhere that has lighting, like McDonald's maybe, and then during the day they will go and sleep in the park, which is why you often see rough sleepers sleeping. It, looks, it seems like that, that's all they do, but in fact it's completely the opposite. Well, we're in bed, they're up around walking the streets. Sarah, it was initially called the Benjamin Andrew Footpath Library. Who was Benjamin Andrew? Ben was the son of a very good friend of mine and we both, Ben and I, became very good friends and he died suddenly and quite tragically and it was that that gave me the impetus to go out there and do something with myself that I thought could be useful. 
And so I named the library after him. He wasn't homeless, but he was a passionate reader, an artist, and loved people. And um, so it was in his memory. How did you get the library started? Where did the first books come from and where did you set up? I stayed at Woolloomooloo where the food truck was because that was an easy way to access people that I thought that might like to read. So to begin with, I emptied my own shelves and then I asked friends for books and soon I was just getting boxes of boxes of books from friends from school, book drives and so on. And so I stayed in Woolloomooloo for a a couple of years um, and then moved up to Martin Place. Where were you operating from when you were in Woolloomooloo? Were you operating from the food truck or did you have your own separate area? No, I was actually operating on the footpath across the road. So I would literally drive up with my car, unload the books, put the books out on, on the footpath and then the people that were waiting across the road in line for the food truck to arrive would usually come over, go through the books take them back, get back in the queue, start reading and, and you know, then get a meal. And so it was actually a great add-on service for the food van and it continues to be so. Sarah, tell me about how the Footpath Library operates now. What cities does it operate in and where do you operate the mobile libraries? We, um, we operate our mobile libraries in Sydney, Melbourne and Perth. In Sydney we are in the CBD at Martin Place In Melbourne, we are in the CBD and in St Kilda. And in Perth, we're in um, the city and we're about to start in uh, Mandurah and Fremantle. So it's sort of quite spread out. But um, the actual, we're actually kind of changing our uh, program a bit at the moment, um, partially because most of the councils would prefer outreach services to not be on the street anymore. Is that as a result of COVID? It was actually happening before COVID. Um, Not so much for us, but there are a lot of food vans operating in the cities and many of them are not registered not-for-profits and have created their own problems around vermin in the city and so on because food gets left behind, the residents complain, and then the homeless community get blamed for that and... It's not actually their doing. So the idea is to have more central, more locations where we could collaborate, which is what our sort of next little big, actually, big program will hopefully be about. So, Sarah, you started small, just you on your own working for Woolloomooloo. I know that the way the operation works, at least in Sydney, I've seen is the, the mobile van. How did it grow from just being you and a few boxes of your secondhand books to something much larger? Where, where and when did you get the van, for example? Well, I started doing this on my own in 2003. And then by 2007, I've installed some libraries and some homeless shelters. It was all getting a little bit out of control. And... Um, I felt like I needed help and it was suggested to me that we should actually register as a not-for-profit. And um, so I just, some fantastic people came along. We formed a board. We got a great patron in Peter Fitzsimons who got a large legal firm on board who gave us pro bono help. We have now got several great pro bono supporters, including Ken Arts, who give us all our storage units, and it just grew from there, really. That's how, that's pretty much how it just took off. Um, but we've always been 
almost completely volunteer run. So we have three one-day-a-week staff and everybody else is a volunteer. And do you operate the vans one night a week in the city or is it more often than that? No, um, at the moment it's one night a week. Um, We also, though, operate uh, book clubs in a couple of social housing um, blocks in Sydney. Could you tell me a little bit about those, Sarah? How do they work? One of them is a... Uh, tags onto a weekly barbecue that's uh, operated by Sydney University for the residents in Camperdown. And so we go along and provide books to them. Plus during COVID, we set up a little street library right outside for them, which remains full all the time so they can access books. The other one is in Surrey Hills and that's a set up in the community centre on site and the residents have their own little book club club running there. Plus we also have a... um, Indigenous Children's Library there that's been set up for um, another not-for-profit called Life for Koori Kids so the kids can go over there and take books from there. So um, we're also helping people who are, you know, socially disadvantaged and isolated. That's a lot of what we're about is actually the connection, the books are the vehicle, but it's really about the, the, the social interaction. Where do you get the books from, Sarah? We get our books from pretty much every publisher in Australia, uh, book reviewers, uh, we do take books from the general public, but they have to be excellent, excellent quality. We prefer new books. Uh, we purchase Indigenous children's books from a from a publisher that's another not for profit. But um, yeah, we never have trouble getting books. And what kinds of books are they? All kinds of books? Are there some that you don't take? Are there some that are particularly popular? Yeah, it's been really interesting actually to to learn how diverse the reading appetite is for, for our, 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 our readers. National Geographic's are the all-time favourite magazine. In fact, they're the only magazine we take and it's, it's one piece of reading that doesn't matter how old the magazines are. In fact, sometimes the older the better. With books, uh, gee, everything, general fiction, history, autobiographies, particularly Australian history, politics, uh, crime, uh, dictionaries and thesauruses are really popular. The classics. Uh, Yes, the classics are always popular. Poetry, uh, self-help is also very big. Uh, We don't take things like true crime, romance, chick lit, um, you know, photography books, gardening books, all the obvious ones. We do take very simple cookbooks. They're very popular. And for the women's refuges, we take uh, parenting books, things like that, that are a good resource. So let me go back a step with you, Sarah. In addition to the mobile libraries, which you've told us about, do you also provide books, you said, to women's shelters? Until 2017, we were pretty much all we were doing, apart from the one mobile library service in Martin Place, was supplying books to libraries we had set up in about 110 shelters, including in Brisbane. And we would install the bookshelves, fill them up, and then every month send a new supply of books. So, again, a giving library. However, what we realised was this was not providing any social interaction, either for our volunteers or for the people who were reading our books. So the decision was made to halt the libraries we will we still actually supply those on demand however but to make it 
more of a, a social opportunity, so to increase our mobile libraries so that, you know, people could have a conversation, a cup of tea, you know, get out of the daily grind, you know, and and not necessarily talk about books. A lot of the time books are the last thing we talk about, but just to have that opportunity to connect with people. So our volunteers are the same volunteers each week. There's only a very small group. So where do they come from, Sarah? Uh, everywhere. Um, they're all really interesting people that are just passionate about reading and, you know, all ages, um, well, not all, all ages, adults, but, um, you know, teachers, librarians, lawyers. How do you become a volunteer if you want to? You can jump onto our website, um, footpathlibrary.org. Um, there's a bit of a process to go through, um, but, you know, yes, we, we are developing new programs and so we will need more volunteers, particularly people who are available during the day, during the week. And, Sarah, you don't just provide books, do you, from the let's take Tuesday night at Martin Place in the van. What else mm. do you provide for people experiencing homelessness? Well, now um, reading glasses have become as popular as the books. So a few years ago we people would always give us old prescription glasses and you know what it's like. You can't wear somebody else's glasses. It just does not work. So a friend of mine up here on the Northern Beaches has a business supplying magnifiers to pharmacies and gave us a couple of boxes of plus one to plus, at that stage, plus one to plus 2.5. And we had people trying them on who'd never tried a pair of magnifiers or any type of glasses on before and and they would hold a book up and say, oh, wow, I can actually read that properly. Considering that a lot of these people are reading under street lamps and things, it's not surprising. Now we have people coming back saying they want plus threes because they realise that how bad their eyes um, really were to begin with. And so, and you know, they get sat on and they get broken and they get lost and so on. But we um, provide those, we go through hundreds of pairs of those a year now. We also give out in wintertime, um, we have Knit for Charities, which is another not-for-profit. They knit for us plain-coloured beanies and scarves in uh, black, brown and navy usually. Um, and they go out in winter. And then apart from that, in Sydney, we, we, we make cups of tea and coffee. On your website, there is a definition of homelessness. I don't expect you to repeat it word for word, but could you just give us the gist of how homelessness is defined? Well, homeless. Okay, homelessness is pretty much the way I look at it. It is if you don't have secure tenure where you are sleeping. So it may not be, uh, you know, 7% of homeless people are rough sleepers, but that's the 7% we all have a picture of. 93% of homeless people are either couch surfing, uh, staying in overcrowded dwellings, um, uh, living with you know, friends living in refuges, hostels, boarding houses, temporary accommodation, you know, there's a whole range. So basically nothing is secure. You could lose that bed tomorrow. And is that what people mean, Sarah, when they talk about the hidden homeless? Yes, because they're not visible to us. And unfortunately, you know, in the last couple of years, the number of women over 50, for example, has increased a lot and we're starting to see them on the street, whereas usually women tend to stay off the streets at night time if they can, if they're in a refuge or whatever. 
Um, but, yeah, you know, and, of course, with COVID, we've seen students, international students, um, more people that have um, become homeless not just because of, you know, perhaps loss of unemployment but because of the mental stress that COVID has brought upon many people who are already struggling. Sarah, roughly how many books do you give away each year? What sort of numbers are we talking about? It's, a, it's about 3,000 uh, in Sydney, Melbourne and Perth, more when we used to do the hostels, but it's about that number and uh, we don't see those books return. People often say to me, where do they go? And I hope that they're just being circulated out there. They get left in the hostel shelters. They get passed on to other people. I don't, I don't really care where the books end up as long as somebody's reading them. <laughs> For the people that are working on the night as volunteers, do they have discussions about the books with the clients? Often they do. Uh, often they do. But, you know, we quite often get people come along and say, okay, what do you recommend? And they just kind of bro- broadly look across, you know, 100 books. And I always sort of try and narrow it down and say, okay, what do you like to read? Um, you know, any particular authors. Some people are very specific. They want a particular book by a particular author and we have to say, look, we're not actually that sort of library. We can't just pull it out. We will often try and find books. But, um, yeah, I mean, especially the classics, you know, there's always a discussion around those. And, um, and I have a guy that still comes. He, he disappears for a couple of years and then he comes back. And he still remembers the, the the first two books I gave him, which were the first two books he'd ever read. And one was To Kill a Mockingbird and the other one was A Fortunate Life. And um, he still talks to me about those when he comes. Sarah, I know that you also work with other organisations in the homelessness sector. Could you tell us about them? I think one's Orange Sky and another is Vinnie's Night Patrol. What what work does the Footpath Library do with them? How do you collaborate? Well, COVID's changed all that, of course, but... Um, up until COVID, we, Orange Sky would come to Martin Place. Uh, I mean, Orange Sky is in a number of places around the city. Just tell uh, us what Orange Sky is. Uh, okay, well, in this particular instance, Orange Sky is the laundry and the showers. Um, and they come to, would come to Martin Place and set up and, you know, we, we'd give their, the guys that were waiting to have their clothes washed a few books to read and they could sit down and then we'd all have a chat. Finney's um, Night Patrol... Um, uh, was coming to Martin Place and after us, like kind of tagged to the end of us, at the back of us, and <clears throat> give out food, um, usually just sandwiches and so on. Um, we're always looking for small grassroots-type um, organisations to collaborate with, and which is one of the things that we're looking at doing with this new venture that we hope to start at the end of the year um, because there are so many services that are not accessible for people experiencing homelessness. Sarah, what you're talking about there is a hub, isn't it? You're looking at Mm. the moment into the feasibility of setting up a hub for people experiencing homelessness. What services would that provide? Well, until um, 2019, we had an annual event called Sydney Homeless Connect, which was run by a wonderful man called Andrew Everingham, and it was, I used to call it the Royal Easter Show for homeless people because you you could come and get pretty much anything from haircuts to a massage to new clothes, food, whatever. And, of course, that's been cancelled now for two years in a row. And so what 
we, is that because of COVID? Yes, 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 because of the sheer volume of people that come through. So what Footpath Library is looking at doing is, is initiating a mini hub that will take place once a month, probably in the inner west, and we will collaborate with other providers who would come on a rostered basis. So we would have legal aid, births, deaths and marriages are really popular. Why is uh, that? Uh, a lot of people don't have birth certificates and uh, you need birth, birth certificates for all sorts of things. So they can get one on the spot. Um, they can get vet care for their animals, counselling. We want to introduce scribes. This is a big thing at the moment. There is no such service to, to get someone to fill in a form for you when you are semi-literate, um, you know, is, is, is something that is always requested even when people come to us on the, as volunteers for the Footpath Library on the street. Um, uh, haircuts, huge. Haircuts are always the most popular thing at Sydney Homeless Connect, as is things like... Um, you know, Reiki or just shoulder massages, just anything where people feel like they're getting pampered a little bit. So it will really be service-oriented, not goods-oriented, but, of course, we'll be giving out books and reading glasses as well. And is that something that the Footpath Library is taking a leadership role in? Yes. Um, we are. We love collaborating. Uh, we know that there are people out there that would like would be really keen to do this, and I guess we've just decided that we'll get out there, find the venue. We've been given some funding, which is fantastic. And, um, yeah, we're really looking forward to just doing all the research first. We need volunteers that we can train and then hopefully start at the end of the year. And I think this will be, the councils will really be, if we can do this also in Melbourne and Perth, will be really, you know, supportive because it is putting services together in a location that's safe that's the other thing. It is really, it will be a safe location. Um, and, you know, it sort of ticks some boxes for them as well. Sarah, it's clear from what you've said, and it's, it's, a, it's very obvious, that COVID has presented a major challenge. But the Footpath Library has responded in two major ways, hasn't it? First, by setting up an e-library, and secondly, by making these little libraries. I'm going to ask you about them one at a time. Let's start with the e-library. You started that in 2020. And I think you had about 350,000 titles in that. How does the e-library work and where did you get the e-books from? So we were approached by Wheeler's Books in New Zealand and they have an online um, library that is subscribed to by most of the high school libraries, public libraries in Australia. And they offered us a very minimal subscription to access a particular library that had, yes, a lot of titles. And whilst I'd always said we're not doing anything online, you know, people need to hold a book, of course, that completely changed in March of um, last year. And so we set the, we got the e-library up and um, running and it was very popular in Melbourne in particular during the extended lockdown they had. So we were issuing logins to um, hostels, refuges, community organisations that had clients that were isolated and so on. What sort of books were they, Sarah? Oh, uh, everything. I mean, it's anything that you could pretty much borrow from a, a regular library. So fiction and non-fiction? Yes. And contemporary books as well as classics? Yes, yes. Um, 
you know, not not titles that were released last week necessarily, but, you know, within the last six months. We've had a bit of a challenge with that and um, because it had an initial spike of interest and then it's, it's kind of just uh, petered out and realised it's because, um, well, a couple of reasons. The staff in the shelters and so on don't have time to... I mean, they can, they can hand out the information to their clients, but they don't have time to really sit down and promote it, and that's completely fine because that's not their job. But the other thing is that a social worker was just telling me yesterday in a drug and rehab shelter, you know, in their downtime, a lot of their clients are just watching Netflix because when they're being counselled, it's like education and so on, but in their downtime they just want to watch Netflix, they don't want to read. So one of the things I'm thinking about is is kind of shaping that e-library so that it has more resource material for Mm. social workers Mm. in rehab hostels, for example, so that the titles that they talk about in their counselling is available to their clients just by simply getting online. And they they can be audible books as well, of course. So, again, this is going a long way past mobile libraries. Give us some examples of organisations that you provided access, with whom you provided access to this e-library. Well, it's really the big, the ones that are being set up by the big charities like Vinnies and the Salvation Army, pretty much. In Western Australia, we've looked at the regional councils who only have very small libraries so they don't have an e-library because most public libraries in cities do have an e-library. So it's more um, so the councils in regional Perth that have only have tiny libraries. That's that's what Western Australia is focusing on, and and here in Sydney, um, yes, we're just looking at re re kind of resetting, I suppose. Now that it's been nearly twelve months because I still think there's a lot of value in the e-library. It's just getting people up and using it and making sure that the titles that we have available are the right ones. Um, And I think that the more the psychoeducational titles are probably going to be the ones that are going to be the most benefit. Sarah, where does your funding come from? We don't don't get any government funding and, and pretty much... We get not even fam- local, not even local government. No, none. So we get family foundations and individuals who give us money, and so it's, it's entirely philanthropic. Yes, and it's people who love reading, and get what the value of reading is, and um, people who can, who can, who actually get that homeless people do read, because that was that's been a, that was a big learning curve for me at the very beginning. I just presumed that they were uneducated and illiterate. You know, I got that from from being little when, you know, my mother would take us into the city and say, oh, you know, they're lazy bums, they should get up and get a job. And now I look back and think, oh, they were sleeping because they've been up all night and they're exhausted. <laughs> and, you know, they might have just lost their job last week or their, fa- or their marriage broke up or, you know, there's been some sort of crisis and now they're on the street. How important is it for these people to have access to books, Sarah, for their self-esteem, their self-respect, their their mental well-being? Well, for people who love to read, um, they've told me it's as important as food. So we call it food for the mind and soul. You know, your brain needs nurturing as well. And for them, some of them have said said that they would go out without a meal 
if it meant that they were going to have access to a book that otherwise they wouldn't, you know. So, for example, on Tuesday nights there are people that come and they don't get in the queue for the tea and coffee. They come to the books first and they'll go and stand right at the end of the tea and, top, tea and coffee queue. And potentially we might have run out of water by then, but they've got their book and that's the most important thing. What do you need, Sarah? Do you need more books right now? Do you need donations? What do you need most? Uh, we don't need books. <laughs> we, we get plenty of books. Of course we would love more donations so that our Sydney hub can, um, you know, continue. And um, how do people donate to the Footpath Library? They can donate online on our website. Again, there is a donate button on our website and, um, you know, $10 buys a pair of reading glasses. So every little bit we can stretch a long way, especially when we have very few overheads being, you know, such a small organisation. You've been operating now for almost 20 years, Sarah, from when you started in 2003. What are your hopes for the future of the Footpath Library? Well, to be honest, Nicole, I would love that we weren't going to be needed, you know, in another five to ten years. But, I, you know, I, I don't have, I don't feel like that's a reality. So I would like, I would like to see a whole lot of hubs set up, you know, where it, it was just, you know, across the city, all over Australia, where people experience it experiencing homelessness can go to get whatever they need, whatever services they need, counselling. You know, if I was once told that if if every person that, that, that stepped out onto the street on that first day within the first two weeks was offered counselling for whatever it was that got them there, gambling, depression, drugs, whatever, more than likely they would be off the street quite quickly. But... Once you've been there for a few months, it just becomes, it seems such a hard thing to get over and to get out of. So to me, the counselling side of it would be huge. And so these these hubs would be just such a fantastic way for us to be able to hopefully get people to, you know, quite quickly the help that they need, but in the meantime, give them books to read and and stimulation and social connection, you know, having a conversation with just, you know, volunteers is just such a big thing, you know. Some incredibly fascinating people. I I have to say in the last 20 years I have met more, (laughs) my friends are going to hate me saying this, but I, I have found people more fascinating than anyone else that I have met in my own group of friends. Give me an example of somebody who you've met through your work who has had that sort of impact on you and who you have seen really respond to the library and the, the supply of books. Look, we've had we've had so many. I mean, I personally have a, a, a couple of friends, good friends, um, who started on the streets. So Hank we made a documentary about my partner made a documentary about actually he was a came out here as a, a, a young child with his mother who was a Polish refugee. Um, she got a job in St Mary's as a seamstress and um, he was sent to a, a boys' home for not going to school. In the old days, that's what the magistrate did, sent them to a boys' home. He actually loved the boys' home. He then left and became a truck driver. He... Um, ended up on the street after falling out with his brother and had been there when we met him for about five or six years. And then he died two years ago, but up until then he was just the kindest, most generous, 
most loved by the entire community, homeless community, funny. He would take other people on night architecture tours around the city. Um, they would all get together and walk around and just talk about the buildings and so on. He had a, um, a coffee club that he'd go to, uh, a lot of men, older men. You know, he, Hank was 70. Um, but he would always ask for colouring in books, very tongue-in-cheek because he wasn't a big reader but he loved the whole social interaction of being around books and he loved looking at the titles and all of that sort of thing. So he's dearly missed by me and my family. You know, he was such a wonderful person. Um, and, you know, there are others like Hank that, that you know, I'm not, I don't know that the Footpath Library changed their lives. I think it definitely enriched their lives and hopefully, you know, made them feel like they were um, valuable uh, and, you know, much loved by all of us volunteers. So, um, yeah, it's extraordinary the, the, the people that, you know, that we've met. And, I mean, you know, the, the, uh, Michael, the artist who was in this, the Two of Us story um, in The Good Weekend, you know, he's an Archibald. He's been an Archibald entrant a number of times. He's been hung in the win prize. Um, you know, incredibly talented man. And I, I had no idea until I looked over his shoulder one night and saw his, him sketching in his notebook and we started a conversation about painting. Sarah, just to explain to our listeners, that was a two of us interview that I did for Good Weekend. Mm. And uh, I wanted to say to our listeners, well, to you, first of all, thank you so much for coming on to talk about this wonderful organisation. To anybody listening who would like to be involved either to donate money or to no donate their time to become involved as a volunteer, I'll be putting up the details on my website on the podcast page with a link. Sarah, thank you so much for talking to me today. And I wish you all the very best of luck with the fantastic work that you're doing. Thank you, Nicole. I really appreciate you having me on today. Thank you for listening to Books, Books, Books. If you liked what you heard in this episode, please go to my website, nicoleabbotty.com.au to listen to all the episodes and find out more about the podcast. You can also find me, Nicole Abbotty, on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter and look for my reviews in Good Weekend. You can subscribe to Books, Books, Books at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google and all the usual places. It would be lovely if you could go to any of these platforms and give Books, Books, Books a rating or review. Thank you. I look forward to talking books with you again soon. Music.